Thank you, Mark. It's good to be here tonight. Um, been going through the book of, of Titus. Now, I warn you, as I'm going through Titus, there's times where I say Timothy, and I don't mean to. I mean Titus, okay? So a couple of just the things that I want to go over that just to remind us, because it's, it's been a little while uh, when it comes to at least starting out Titus. I'm going to tell you a few facts about Titus, and then we'll uh, read the passage, then we'll pray, okay? But Titus, as you know, as you look in your Bibles right now, Titus has three chapters. Um, Paul wrote the book of Titus to Titus. Titus is a Greek convert of Paul's, uh, found in chapter 1, verse 4. Titus, he traveled with Paul. We see that in the Corinthians. Titus, he, he was a teacher, pastor of this island of Crete, which was a small island, and is a small island, uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Titus, the book of Titus was written around A.D. 64, somewhere between probably 1st and 2nd Timothy, okay? The purpose of the book of Titus we find in chapter 1, verse 5. And so let's, let's read that, okay? Uh, this is the purpose of the whole book of Titus. Paul's writing this to Titus. And he says this, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. That's the purpose of the book of Titus. So Titus was left there in order to put in order the church there, in Crete. What's interesting here is the, the, the order part, the put in order, it means to, to set in order, obviously, or to straighten further. Um, but uh, we get the word, the, the Greek word there is ortho. The Greek word is ortho, uh, again, which means set in order or straighten further. And that's also where we get the, uh, the word orthopedic. And so if you've ever, you know, had a broken bone or any type of structural problems, uh, you go see an orthopedic, and they straighten you out, right? And so in a lot of ways, Titus was given this job to be an orthopedic to the church there in Crete to straighten it out further, right? And that makes all sense when you read chapters 1 and 2, and obviously what we're reading today in verses 11 through 14, specifically Paul is writing to Titus to straighten out the church, specifically in 11 through 14, when it comes to grace. The church must be straightened up and operate correctly when it comes to grace. And that's what we read here. Now, I want to go over uh, a few points, but first, uh, let's read, and then I want to pray. Verses 11 and Titus. Through 14, it says this, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Praise the Lord, right? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people 
that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Amen. Father, we do come to you. It is impossible for this man here to explain with, with the power and the understanding of grace. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit tonight. We, we lean upon you as a great teacher uh, to uh, teach uh, something that is so foundational but is, is so uh, amazing to put our arms around. So we re rely upon you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, quickly, there's four fa fast statements I want to give you concerning these, this passage. And so I'm going to do this quick, but it's just four. Um, first of all, these, these four verses that we just read, they, they perfectly encapsulate what being saved by grace is all about. Uh, number one, salvation is entirely the work of God. Salvation is entirely the work of God. Number two, salvation is available to all people. Praise the Lord. Number three, out of gratitude for this free gift of salvation that we see in these passages, we strive to reject the temptations of this world and to live in a manner that pleases God. Number four, even when we fail, and we will, Jesus is a Savior who can make us clean. Praise the Lord. Um, as if, you know, he can make us clean as if failures never happened. This cleansing gives us an even stronger desire, <laughs> yes, to do good. Not to bring praise to ourselves, but to lift his name up on high, right? Those are four quick things that I want us to understand this, this evening. Uh, do you remember El Nino that took place? Big old storm, huge, that took place in Southern California, maybe other places too, uh, the potential dangers of the El Nino, uh, they swept through Southern California. Uh, potential dangers of this mudslide became a real nightmare to the people there, especially one family. Uh, there was one family specifically that was, they were still in their home while this mudslide was taking place. This wave of mud tore through this particular family's house. It broke apart. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but if you've seen any videos on these things, this mudslide just broke apart this house, uh, specifically with this family in it. And it, it swept parts of the house away. Uh, but in that house, it swept away a sleeping baby into the night. And the parents there, they began to search through the night for this child. So they, they, they were looking through the mud. Can you imagine? It's dark outside. They're trying to find this baby. They're calling their son or daughter's name. The neighborhood has come to help them search and dig through the mud all through the night with no results at all. And when morning came, a rescuer, uh, he was covered in mud himself. He came to the parents, and he had this, this mud-caked bundle in his, in his, in his hands, and, and it was the baby, and it was, the baby was filthy, but the baby was alive. <laughs> you know, can, can you imagine thinking about the parents? I, I try to put this picture in my own, you know, my life, and I'm thinking, 
who cares about the mud, right? I want my baby, right? I want my child. It didn't matter how dirty he or she was. What a picture of God's grace in this, this illustration, this true illustration here, and how you know, God comes after us in that same way. I mean, when we think about grace, and we think about the condition that we were in, we were not attractive at all. We understand that, right? We were the opposite of, of being attractive to God. He's the one that did all the work for us to come to know Him as Savior. Um, and so grace, grace, we see in these passages, grace rescues us. In verse 11, Paul begins to explain how grace, it transforms us by reminding us of what God, only God, has accomplished in our life. And Paul, he reminds us of, of our own undeserving deliverance. This deliverance has been made available to everyone. We see it in this passage. It doesn't matter what age you are. Does it matter what class you are? Does it matter what gender you are? Grace, is saving grace is available to anyone at any time. No one has been saved by what they have themselves accomplished, but it's all a work of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul highlights how much we don't deserve salvation, grace, and deliverance in verse 11 when he talks about, do you see the word did it pop out to you when we were reading it? It's the word appear. Did that seem uh, kind of appear to you, right? So it, it's pretty interesting here. He says again, for the grace of God has appeared. I'm thinking, oh, wow, what's going on here in this passage? Um, what's really interesting is that um, in, in Greek literature, during that time, uh, the word appear can function as a, a technical term describing a hero. Isn't that something? Now, you've watched Avengers movies, right? You know you know about heroes. Just think about heroes just for a minute. Uh, heroes, they, they break into a very helpless situation, right? And they rescue someone in danger. Now, that someone in danger, um, there's no way they could accomplish that rescue by themselves. They were helpless, completely helpless in the situation. And Paul is saying, grace appeared. Grace appeared here. Salvation comes. Completely the work of God. It's a hero in the night rescuing us that we don't deserve. And what's interesting, even in all these passages, is these verses put together, is, is Paul here, he kind of... Uh, intertwines grace and God um, at the same time. He kind of intertwines them both, um, where uh, Christ is um, uh, Christ, Christ and then Christ, what Christ provides. So Christ and what Christ provides. So God and grace all at the same time. They're almost inseparable here, God and grace. So we see this, this picture of this this grace as a personal action by a personal God who saved us from our helpless condition out of love completely. And so when we read, when we say, for the grace of God has appeared, it's a hero. 
that has come for the world to, to save us from the sin and the ungodliness and the evil in this world. Verse 12, uh, here Paul, uh, he says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Isn't that interesting? Let's spend some time here. Grace teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say no. Have we forgotten as a people of God how to say no to things? Think about it. When it comes to the movies we watch, the television shows that we see, when it comes to the theater, when it comes to um, our own desires, have we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have we, have we lost the ability to say no? Would you, would you practice this with me? For the sake of me, I guess. Would you just say no? no. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, can you say it just one more time? It'll be better this time, I promise, because it always is the second time. Could you say no? No. No. We can say no to things. We can say no to ungodliness. We can say no to sinful things. We're able to do that. And Paul here tells us that grace is the biggest and best teacher to be able to say no here. He says that, um, you know, when you think about saying no and have we, have we lost the ability to say no, we think about the, um, we think about control. Do we have control over some of the things in life? Are there things in our life that we don't have control over? When you think about idols in our life, how Christ takes every idol in our life and he requires everything in our life to bow before him. And if there's anything in our life that is influencing us or controlling us, then in a lot of ways, we are bowing before that one thing. Grace gives us the ability to say no. He talks about what to say no about. He says, saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, we all know that we live in a world that it has evil. We will live in a world that has sin, tells us right here in this passage, but also passages like Galatians 1.4, Paul says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. I don't think I'd be able to have any conversation. No one would probably agree with me in here that the world is not evil or saturated in some ways when it comes to ungodliness. We see all around us. Scripture speaks about it. It affects us daily. But you've probably heard of Christian science. Um, it's a, a, a sect, and it's kind of a dying sect, but they believe that 
evil and sin and even death are all illusions. The Bible tells us opposite of that, right? That our world is saturated when it comes to ungodliness. That's one of the reasons why Jesus came, right? To save us from our own sin. So we see it all around us and Scripture speaks about it. There's evil and sin in the world and and Jesus came to save us from it. God expects us in the midst of this evil world, he expects us to live godly lives, upright lives. So God wants us to, to live godly lives in an evil world, and he gives us the ability to do that, and he gives us a tool in order to do that. This tool, he says, is the Holy Spirit. I'm, excuse me, grace. Holy Spirit, definitely the great grace through the Holy Spirit uh, works on us. And so grace, he shows us here, is our great teacher. Father, we come to you, Lord. Help us even right now understand this tool of grace that you have for us. Help us grasp that this tool of grace helps us with ungodliness and worldliness. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when God's grace becomes our focus, think about this for a minute. All of us have experienced God's grace. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've experienced God's grace. But even past salvation, there's certain markers in our life that we're always experiencing God's grace. And Paul here is saying that grace is our best teacher because it's our true motivator. You see, the law is, um, uh, is, is rules, and the book of Romans tells us that we need the law. The law is good for us. It actually points to why we need a Savior. But it's no motivation there. When it comes to our Christian lives and to be motivated for godliness, we're not really motivated when it comes to the law, but we know, and Paul knows here, that we are motivated by grace. And that's why he tells Titus here to straighten up the church, make make sure they understand that grace is their teacher. And so the big picture here is when God's grace becomes our focus, It motivates us to live holy lives, doesn't it? When we think about, you know, when I think about the grace of God in my own life, I just ponder it. I'm thinking, Lord, there is no reason, any value in and of myself that you would save me. And there's there's no reason why you would even give me breath today to breathe, right? Right? And I could go on and on and on. This is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, the motivation for holy living, the motivation to be godly, the motivation to do these things is understanding the grace of God. The grace of God is the big motivator in order to live self-controlled and godly lives. And to to live in a way that the gospel is is furthered and not hindered in any way. 
But what has happened many times and happens in our lives is that we get stuck on living on rules and not the relationship of Jesus Christ. Therefore, uh, we're not motivated many times for holy living because we're doing it for another reason rather than the grace of God. Now, this is what I mean. So, usually, our bedroom right now is being remodeled because we had some things happen, okay? But usually in our bedroom, you would see behind our headboard or up in front of us, you would see this really beautiful framed certificate. That's really nice. I mean... We paid some money for this, this, this frame. It's really nice. And I needed to because my wife said that we needed it. And so that's what we did. And it's, it's for our marriage. It's a certificate, you know, and it's really pretty. I tell you, it's pretty. It's really nice. And usually it, it, it's, it's so we can see it. And it, it talks about marriage and the things of marriage and while we're married and things like that. Now, if, if my wife whispered in my ear and said, sweetie, why do you love me? And I, I pointed to that certificate. I said, baby, because that certificate tells me to. That wouldn't be a very good day, would it? It wouldn't work out real well if that was the case, right? It wasn't happening. But no, but... What if I told her, I said, you know, it's because we have a relationship together. That's why, that's why I opened the car door for you, right? That's why I love to be around you. That's why we, we laugh and we giggle together. We do. That's why we do that because we have a, it's not because of the certificate up there. It's because I love that woman. And, and I, I want to serve her. I want to do everything I can because of our relationship that we have, right? Doesn't that apply to this, right? Well, we have a God that we have such a relationship with. <laughs> There's nothing more. We, we want to serve him, right? We, we want to love him. You, you, don't, you don't have to remind us to go to church on Sunday because we've got a relationship with him, right? You don't, you don't have to, we don't have to be reminded to go to a life group. You don't have to remind us to be godly. You don't have to remind us to put others before ourselves because I want to. This is the God I love and the grace that he's given me is just shines on me weekly, daily. There's, there's a, a, a grace reason why I want to be the man that he created us to be, right? And the woman that he created you to be. More than a certificate, more than the law, more than rules, because of grace. And what he's done in your life and my life, I can't wait to serve him and to love him. That's the picture that Paul is trying to get to Titus. And Titus is trying to get to the people of Crete. Grace. Structure, how you see grace. I want to, what motivates me is because God has poured out so much grace on me. I want to.
I want to do these things. I want to serve. I want to be godly. I want to do these things. Yes. So when we begin to put our arms around what God has done for us, there begins to be a revival in our hearts. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? When you begin to put your arms around how God is gracing you, I don't even know if that's a word, okay? But when we begin to be a thankful people that he's called us to be and put our arms around what he has done for us in the past, in the present, in the future, there begins to be a revival in our life. It is true. It begins, arrival begins to be in our heart, in, a, in, in, in the church of Crete, in their hearts. And they begin to align themselves rightly when it comes to grace in their life. And we begin to, to grasp it. And my question is, you know, based upon this passage, you see this mighty grace of God what Jesus has done for us, right? That gives us the ability to say no to ungodliness. That uh, gives us the ability to, to say yes to godliness and to be the people of God that he's called us to be. And so I want to leave us with, with this question. What is motivating you? I mean, I really want you to think about this because it matters, right? What motivates you in your Christian life? Because look, just think about it. If it's others, you know, like giving, giving you a pat on the back, that's not going to last. If it's, if it's some type of the way people think about you, that's not going to last. If it's rules... It's not going to last. If it's culture, it's not going to last. If it's just because, it's not going to last. The only thing that's going to last in our Christian life is that we do things because of the grace of God in our lives. That's the true motivator. And you wonder at times when people... When people fall away out of the church, you wonder, and I don't say this in a way of judgment, but you wonder, okay, you know? And so to turn that around, asking ourselves what really motivates us and, and changing our motivation to what Jesus is speaking about through Paul is important for us tonight. So this passage has to do everything with us, first place. My motivations, your motivation when it comes to godliness. But second, it has everything to do with how we pray for other people. There's people that you're praying for right now. You're praying for their salvation you're praying for maybe someone who 
Maybe they, they, they know the Lord or they think they know the Lord or whatever the situation. But their life is not straight right now. And they need an ortho, which is grace. To straighten them up. They need to see that. They need to be able to put their hands around grace. And number three, maybe, maybe you're like me and you have children that you're thinking, you know, oh goodness, the last thing I want my kids is to be for rules to be the reason why because it's not going to last. And so I want to ask you to pray for those three things. Pray for yourself right now as we give an invitation. Pray for yourself. Pray for others that you're dealing with. Pray for your kids, big, small, empty nester, it doesn't matter. All the above. I want to open just this invitation. You may want to come down front and pray. I want to encourage you to do that. If you want to pray for people that they would be motivated by the grace of God in their life, I want to encourage you to come down and pray. Pray for your kids, that your kids, they would be motivated by the grace of God rather than rules, rather than the law, rather than anything else. I want to ask you to come down and pray. I am. That they would be motivated and the right reasons that Paul gives us. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of things that um, can steal our attention away from you. Give us God, give us eyes to see your grace. Would you? Give our kids the ability to see your grace. Give them the ability to see the ungodliness in this world and that you have called them to be something different. Father, we pray for those in our life that we're praying for salvation, that they would understand grace, and we would, we would be that vocal piece in whatever ways you want us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.